I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings. 1 Kings is one of those uh, historical books of the Old Testament, classified that way for English readers of the Bible. It's interesting that in the Jewish understanding of the arrangement of the books of the Old Testament, uh, Kings and First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings are uh, prophetic and considered to be uh, prophetic books. And that's because in these books we see the development of the kingdom and the, the idea of the kingdom and the kings. Uh, first Saul, then David, and then Solomon. And uh, then after Solomon, you remember the kingdom is divided between the north and the south, and you have this you have this recurring theme of kings that walked in the ways of the Lord, some of them, and then more, than, more often than not, many of them did not walk in the ways of the Lord until finally, as we saw when we were studying the book of Jeremiah, God brought judgment upon the nation of Israel. And uh, that, uh, that is a theme. But the message of the prophet is, is uh, as the writer of the book of Kings is intending to hold up for us what an ideal king is, one who serves uh, the, un, under the kingship of God and is attentive to the law of God and what it means for a king to leave that, to lead the people into idolatry and the great harm that comes from that and the judgments that come from that. Um, my approach tonight in terms of the passage that we're going to look at is one that uh, we've used a little bit in the past, and that is it's a long reading. Uh, our text is, uh, begins in verse 12 of chapter 2 of 1 Kings, and it goes to the end of the chapter. And so rather than read the whole uh, reading in one fell uh, swoop, as it were, um, I'm going to uh, di- divide it up, and we'll go through it section by section. But uh, let's begin with prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity that you give to us to attend to your word. And we recognize that it is by means of your divine word and your divine spirit that uh, you work mysteriously and wonderfully in our hearts, teaching us week in and week out through constant exposure to the things that you have revealed concerning your will and your purpose and who you are and who you want us to be, that constant exposure to your word over a period of years has a sanctifying and a wonderful effect as we are drawn to know and to love the Lord Jesus Christ more and more. And we give thanks to you for this, and we pray that this may be one of those times where we are drawn to know and to love the Lord Jesus Christ more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a young boy, I I was uh, one of the... Uh, my, my mom and dad, both believing parents, uh, one of five children. Um, I had a brother, uh, some of you know, Roger, who uh, managed to escape uh, discipline and trouble more often than I did. But I remember that uh, when my, 
my mom would sometimes say to me, when your dad gets home, uh, you are going to have to talk to him. And I always dreaded that. And it was, uh, uh, I had this feeling that uh, I needed, I was waiting nervously uh, to see what would happen, hoping that uh, my dad would be too busy, uh, that my mom would uh, forget to talk to him, or that uh, it's for some other reason, Whatever my transgression was, it would slide away and just go into nothingness. This uh, text that uh, we are going to look at tonight uh, shows us uh, the, the fact that God uh, has set apart, he has set the king in Israel to be an administrator and an applier of his justice. And we're going to see Solomon, uh, as he faces challenge to his throne, apply divine uh, justice to those who oppose him as king. Uh, Adonijah, you'll remember, was aware of the Lord's choice to make Solomon the uh, heir to David. But David took some time to bring that about. And so in defiance of what was well known uh, in the house of David that Solomon was to be king. In defiance of that, Adonijah, uh, uh, counting on popularity, his popularity, his good looks, uh, he had uh, special relationships with people like Joab and the priest Abiathar, Adonijah rebelled against God's choice of Solomon. He wanted himself to be king. That all came to an end when Nathan and Bathsheba uh, exposed his plan. And David had Solomon publicly anointed and acclaimed to be the king of Israel. And Adonijah was forced against his will to come and to pay homage to Solomon. Promise, and Solomon promised him that he would not put him to death if he proved himself worthy. Adonijah well knew that as, uh, as someone who had, in, a, in essence, committed treason, he was worthy of death, yet Solomon promised not to put him to death if he proved himself to be a worthy man. And he promised, in addition, that if, he, if wicked purposes were found in him, he would be put to death. David gave instructions to Solomon concerning uh, two other cases, Joab and Shimei, before he died. David instructed Solomon uh, to deal with them in justice. Interestingly, though, David did not speak of, uh, to Solomon about Adonijah. Neither did he speak to him about Abiathar. And so in verses 12 and following, we, we're going to see that Solomon is established as king. He's ruling by, as God's chosen king. And uh, God had said to David that your house and your kingdom shall be sure forever before me. Your throne will be established. Now, this idea of being 
mature and being established, being firmly fixed, is central to the promise that God made to David. The Hebrew word means to make firm, lasting, reliable, to be established as an everlasting kingdom. God had promised that one of his heirs would sit on his throne in an everlasting kingdom. And that language is commonly used of David's, the covenant that God made with King David. For example, David said these words, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, how I wish these words would be uh, thought of in our own time. When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he, that is God, dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes the grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house, this is David speaking, does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant. Now notice these words. Ordered and in all things secure. The security and the order of David's throne had been promised to him by God. And it points to the divine, eternal decree. It is God's decree that makes things firm and established. And ultimately, behind David, and we have to always remember as we read of these texts, that behind David and behind Solomon is the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom they were types and foreshadowings. And it is the, by the decree of God that the Lord Jesus Christ would reign in his kingdom that is established and sure, ordered in all things and secure. And so this was foreshadowed then in the reign of King David, and Solomon now wants his kingdom also to be securely and firmly established. When a nation is governed righteously and in the fear of God, a people live then without fear, and they dwell in safety. But when wickedness and rebellion against God is left unpunished, whoever is in charge is conceived and known to be weak, and violations of the law of God are then encouraged. Ralph Davis, in his commentary, says this, The security of the kingdom requires the elimination of its enemies, and the kingdom must be preserved from those who try to destroy and undermine it. Uh, Philip Ryken, the commentator and uh, pastor, puts it this way, The right and proper way for a king to punish mortal enemies is not giving them liberty, but giving them death. Turning Patrick Henry's statement around. Not to give them liberty, but to give them death. As chapter 2 unfolds from verses 12 and following, we see then the first enemy of Solomon's rule is once again Adonijah. And here is where 
Uh, I'd like for us to turn in your Bibles uh, with me to chapter 2, verse, beginning at verse 12. So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and she said, Do you come peacefully? And he said, Peacefully. Then he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, Speak. And he said, You know that the kingdom was mine. Now listen to this. Uh, realize that what Adonijah is doing here is he's twisting the truth. He says to Bathsheba, You know that the kingdom was mine and that all Israel fully expected me to reign. Again, not true. However, the kingdom was turned about and became my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. And now I have one request to make of you. Do not refuse me. She said to him, speak. And he said, please ask King Solomon. He will not refuse you to give me Abishag the Shunammite as, his, as my wife. And Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak for you to the king. And so Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him on behalf of Adonijah. And the king arose and met her and bowed down to her. And then he sat on his throne. And notice the respect that the king shows to his mother. He bowed down to her. And he sat on his throne. And he, sat, and he had a seat brought for the king's mother. And she sat on his right. And then she said, I have one small request to make of you. Do not refuse me. Notice that, uh, that language of one, one request, and it is small. One small request. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, Make your request, my mother, for I, sh I will not refuse you. And she said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah your brother as his wife. And King Solomon answered his mother, Why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother, and on his side are Abiathar the priest and Joab the son of Zariah. And then King Solomon swore to the Lord, saying, God, do so to me and more also, if this word does not cost Adonijah his life. Now, therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of David, my father, and who has made me a house, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. And so King Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down, and he died. So here we have the account of uh, Adonijah. David is hardly buried, and Adonijah comes to Bathsheba to renew his effort to take the throne of Israel away from Solomon. And he thought he would do this by asking Solomon for Abishag to be his wife, Abishag, you remember, was the young woman who was very beautiful, who uh, attended to the king to keep him warm in his old age. And uh, the text specifically said in the previous chapter that King David did not have relations with her. 
uh, but she nevertheless cared for David and for Adonijah to seek Abishag to be his wife meant that he was seeking some legal pretext to obtain a legal basis for the throne. It was also well known in that culture that to take the concubine of a king was a direct challenge to the rule of that king. And he, appreciate, he approached Bathsheba and, and noticed that his language. He uses deceptive language. He says that the kingdom was his and that somehow, for reasons that the Lord knows, he acknowledges, he says, it became my brother's. And there, there, are, uh, there, there is definite a twisting of the truth here. And Adonijah does not know or care about the Lord at all. He is in rebellion against God. And yet he covers himself and makes his request with subtlety and with deception. Bathsheba agreed to speak to, David, to, uh, to, uh, to Solomon. And uh, it's, hard, uh, it, it's hard to understand whether Bathsheba was being naive or whether she was being shrewd. Uh, you'll find, if you read commentators on it, uh, they'll take one point of view or another. Either she knew how Solomon re- would react to the response, and she played into it uh, knowing what that response was going to be, or she was naive. And, uh, you know, if you just read the text on the surface of it, it sounds like she didn't really um, understand what uh, Adonijah was up to. She calls it one small request that shows uh, a sense of, uh, of ignorance as to what is really happening, being hoodwinked in some degree by Adonijah. We can imagine after the request was made, there must have been a moment of silence, awkward silence. And Solomon, in his wisdom, the wisdom that God had given to him, had immediate awareness, immediate insight into what Adonijah was doing. He was going for the throne. And we see that, Adonai, that uh, Solomon acts swiftly. He doesn't hesitate. He announces the death penalty on Adonijah. Uh, and uh, King Solomon swore, God, do so to me and more also, if this does not cost Adonijah his life. King Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down, and he died. Now, my method tonight is to go through each of these cases that are in the text that we're going to look at. At the end, I want to draw some uh, practical application. But the next enemy that we have uh, mentioned in this chapter is Abiathar the priest. And uh, we read of him in verses 26 and 27. And to Abiathar the priest, the king said, go to Anathoth. You remember that Jeremiah was from Anathoth. It was a town for where priests lived. Go to Anathoth, to your estate, for you deserve death. But I will not at this time put you to death because you carried the ark of the Lord God before David my father and because you shared in all my father's affliction So Solomon expelled Abiathar from being priest to the Lord, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord that he had spoken concerning the house of Eli 
in Shiloh. Now, Abiathar was an honored man. He was a priest, and he was the last of the family of Eli uh, who served as priest. And he was the son of Ahimelech. And you remember that he escaped death when Saul, King Saul ordered Doag the Edomite to murder all of the priests of Nob. And as a faithful priest, he ran to David and shared uh, in David's uh, sufferings, both prior to his coming to the throne and all through his reign. And even in the rebellion of Absalom, Abiathar was loyal to David. And uh, he suffered with David. And David gave Abiathar, the priest, charge over the ark of the Lord. And yet Abiathar resolved to follow God's rightly ordained king. His resolve waned as he himself grew older. And remember, all that generation are now uh, full of gray hair, and they're older. As uh, he took his eyes off of the promise that God had made to David and Solomon, he began to make calculations as to what would be best for him. And he is an example of a man who is faithful for a long time. And this is possible to be faithful to the Lord for a long time and then not to end well. And it is true that the aging process presents its own unique temptations. We're tempted when, as we grow older, to put our own interests above the interests of the Lord. We may think that uh, we somehow deserve it. We've lived a long life. We've endured a lot of trials. And we pat ourselves on the back in various ways. But Vithar is someone who is an example of someone who served faithfully and then ended badly. And he was taken and removed from the priesthood. So Solomon expelled Abiathar from being a priest to the Lord, fulfilling the prophecy that had been given to Eli so many years before. The next enemy of Solomon's reign we read of in verses 28 through 34, and that is Joab. When the news came to Joab, for Joab had supported Adonijah, although he had not supported Absalom, Joab fled to the tent of the Lord and caught hold of the horns of the altar. It was thought that uh, if you went to the tabernacle and you took hold of the horns of the altar, that that would be a sanctuary, that nothing would be done to you there. And when it was told King Solomon, Joab was, has fled to the tent of the Lord, and behold, he is beside the altar. Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go, strike him down. So Benaiah came to the tent of the Lord and said to him, The king commands, Come out. And he said, No, I will die here. And then Benaiah brought the king word again. And you can commend Benaiah here. He's not sure what to do. He does not want to go into the tent of the Lord and put Joab to death there. So he goes back to Solomon, sends word back to Solomon, saying, Thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. The king replied to him, 
Do as he said. Strike him down and bury him, and thus take away from me and from my father's house the guilt for the blood that Joab shed without cause. Notice that the reference is not to Joab's rebellion along with Adonijah, but to the guilt for blood that Joab had shed without cause, that is, murder. The Lord will bring back his bloody deeds on his own head, because without the knowledge of my father David, he attacked and killed with the sword two men more righteous and better than himself, Abner the son of Ner, commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa the son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah. And so shall their blood come back on the head of Joab and on the head of his descendants forever. But for David and for his descendants and for his house and for his throne, there shall be peace from the Lord forevermore. Notice that language. Speaking of the throne of David, the throne of Solomon, being established and being reigns in which peace from the Lord is present. Then Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck him down and put him to death, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. Joab is one of the three brothers who were valiant warriors for King David, and he was, at uh, this time uh, of, of, of this chapter, uh, an older man. And no doubt Solomon, think of uh, Solomon's relationship to Joab. Joab was a great warrior. He had great power and influence in David's reign. Solomon is a little boy growing up. Joab is one of the great men of Israel. No doubt Solomon knew him and uh, looked up to him and was taught to respect him. And yet Joab had something. Though he was very loyal to David in certain respects, there was something about Joab, his character and his personality, and it was this. He was a man of intense wrath and anger. And he was willing to murder for the sake of personal revenge. Not, as to, not to kill someone in the line of duty. Not as in war. Not as one who is doing the Lord's bidding. But to kill in cold blood and to murder. When Joab got the word from Adonijah, what did he do? You know, uh, there, there, there's always more than one option. What could he have done? He could have acknowledged what he had done. He could have gone to Solomon and pled for mercy, acknowledging his deeds. He didn't. He fled to the tabernacle, took horns of the took the horns of the altar. And then Solomon had to have him put to death. But Solomon in this text, you notice that he gives clear reasoning for his action. There is moral guilt attached to Joab that Solomon does not want in his kingdom. 
He does not want David's house associated with the guilt of murder. And he says, thus take away from me and from my father's house the guilt for the blood that Joab shed without cause. He attacked and killed with a sword two men more righteous than himself. So this account of, of, uh, of, of this, the killing of these men, first, first Abner, uh, is, can be found in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 23. Uh, I, Abner was a, was a commander in the armed forces of the house of Saul in the northern kingdom, um, and he was attempting to transfer the kingdom to the house of David. And he had visited David, and he was setting up a treaty and a covenant with David. But as he was leaving, Joab showed up from another errand that he was on, and he saw Abner there, and we're told that uh, Joab was furious with David for for allowing Abner to come into his camp and letting him go and not killing him. And so Joab came out of David's presence. He sent messengers after Abner, and they brought Abner back to Joab. And here Joab is thinking that he is on a peaceful errand. And uh, he comes to this cistern of Sirah. And David did not know what Joab was going to do. And when Abner returned, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak with him privately. And there he struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Joab was on a mission of revenge. And Amasa also was one of David's mighty men, whom Joab suspected of being positioned to take his place as commander. And we read that Joab murdered Amasa in 2 Samuel 20, 9 and following. Both of these murders were done without David's knowledge, and both brought blood guilt upon uh, David's uh, uh, house, and Solomon was determined not to have it associated with his reign. And so then uh, he has Joab put to death. Now the next enemy, the next enemy is Shimei, and uh, we read of him in verses 36 and following. Then the king sent and summoned Shimei and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there. Do not go out from there to any place whatsoever. For on the day that you go out and cross the brook Kidron, know for certain that you shall die. Your blood shall be on your own head. And Shimei, who was glad to be alive, glad to have his head on his shoulders, said to the king, What you say is good. As my lord the king has said, so will your servant do. So Shimei lived in Jerusalem many days. But it happened at the end of three years that two of Shimei's servants ran away to Achish, the son of Makkah, the king of Gath. And when it was told Shimei, behold, your servants are in Gath. Now notice this, verse 40. Shimei does not He does not think of what Solomon said to him. He does not send someone else on the errand. Here is what he does. Shimei arose and saddled the donkey and went to Gath, to Achish, 
to seek his servants. And Shimei went and brought his servants from Gath. And when Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and returned, the king sent and summoned Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and solemnly warn you, saying, Know for certain that on the day that you go out and go to any place whatever, you shall die. And you said to me, what you say is good. I will obey. Now here's the question Solomon asked him. Why then have you not kept your oath to the Lord and the commandment with which I commanded you? And you notice that Shimei has nothing to say. And so it will be on the day of judgment for every single one of us. There will be nothing to say when God announces his sentence. And so Solomon says, You know in your own heart all the harm that you did to David, my father. So the Lord will bring back your harm on your own head. King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. Notice again the language. Shall be established before the Lord forever. And then the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down, and he died. And so the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. In each of these cases, all except for um, 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 Abiathar, there is an execution. There is an execution. And he died. Solomon sends Benaiah. He puts him to death. It is a judicial administration of divine justice. And notice that in every single case, there is nothing that can be argued. There is nothing that can be said in opposition to the sentence. There is no counter-argument that can be made. And as we read tonight in the reading from Romans, and uh, Ron mentioned how it's repeated, and they are without excuse. On the day of judgment, when we appear before God, we will be in that same situation. We will have no excuse for our sins. Well, uh, the story of Shimei is told in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 5 through 14. And you remember that as David fled from Absalom, uh, Shimei, who was of the house of Saul, uh, followed him, cursing continually, loudly cursing David, throwing stones at David. And all the people and all the the men who were on his right hand and his left, and Shimei said as he cursed, Get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. Imagine that. Saying these words to King David, The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Shimei is a blasphemous man. We live in a world in which blasphemers are all about us. They speak of holy things with their tongues, and they blaspheme God. 
Solomon had every reason to put Shimei to death. He was a horrible man. David had instructed Solomon, do not hold him guiltless. Though David had promised not to put Shimei to death, he says to Solomon, do not hold him guiltless. Bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. That's the sentence that David gave. And yet we see that Solomon showed Shimei mercy. He didn't, when, when he asked Shimei to come, he told him to build his house in Jerusalem and to live there. And he said, don't leave your house or Jerusalem. I think it was mostly the city of Jerusalem that he was confined to. But on the day that you go out, the day that you leave Jerusalem and cross the brook Kidron, know for certain you shall die, and your blood will be on your own head. And so Shimei, glad to be alive, agreed. And he lived there many days. And we see that Shimei finally, after the passage of time, did what I did as a young boy. Thought, well, three years have gone by. Solomon's not going to do anything. I'm going to get on my donkey and I'm going to go. And he goes, and then he brings upon himself the sentence of death. It's kind of a hard chapter, isn't it? Those who oppose God's rightly ordained king die and are executed for their sins. And all these accounts of Solomon dealing with those who rebelled against him, uh, we see that guilt is Paid. There is a payment for sin and guilt. And Solomon, as we've said, is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what are some of the things that we can take from this? First, we see that Solomon is both, he has within him his, his dealings with these people, both mercy and justice. He treats, except for Adonijah, who is out to overthrow him, uh, he treats these others with, uh, by allowing them to live under certain conditions. Adonijah's rebellion points us to the fact that Satan, and I think Adonijah is a Satan figure in this account, is the arch enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he never rests until he succeeds in undermining the kingdom of Christ. It is no accident as you go out in the roads and you hear the name of Jesus Christ uh, used in such vile and horrible ways. It is no accident that that happens because Satan's purpose in the world is to blaspheme Jesus Christ and to undermine his kingdom. It reminds us of the subtlety Adonijah reminds us of the subtlety and the use of half-truths and exaggeration that Satan used in the Garden of Eden to present a false picture. And so it also reminds us uh, that his dealing with Adonijah, Solomon's dealing with Adonijah, reminds us that Jesus will deal decisively and has dealt decisively with Satan. Throughout his earthly life, he overcame Satan's lies and temptations. And he defeated Satan on the cross. 
taking the record of debt that stood against his elect people, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. He triumphed over them in the cross. So Jesus Christ is the great king. He is a king of justice. He is a king of mercy as well. There is an enemy of not only of Jesus Christ, but of your own souls. There is one who is out to destroy your soul. And he is on the prowl. Peter said, the apostle Peter said, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You see, this world that we live in, it is a world made by God. And it is a world in which there is a battle between truth and falsehood and righteousness and evil. They exist. And we need to recognize that that battle is being played out. Peter warns us as we live our lives to recognize that he, Satan, is our adversary seeking to devour us. The other thing that we see is that these individuals who oppose Solomon were marked in particular ways that showed contempt for God and his anointed king. Abiathar, we've already mentioned that as he aged, he gave in to the temptation to think of his own, uh, his own personal circumstances and to put those before God's uh, choice of King Solomon to be king and he aligned himself with Solomon's enemy. In the case of Joab, Joab was marked by a willingness to act independently of David's will and knowledge. And uh, he sought personal revenge for the killing of his brother. And the punishment of Joab was necessary, or there, Solomon says, would be no peace in his reign. The application of justice is necessary for the kingdom of Jesus Christ to be established, and it will be. It is one of the great hopes of the believer to know that there is a day when God will right all wrongs, when he will, without, without argument, without anybody being able to have any excuse, he will establish a right and a just sentence upon every man or woman. And in the application and administration of justice, it is a reminder to us of the importance, the importance of justification by faith. That the Lord Jesus Christ has taken upon himself the guilt of sinners and it points us to the fact that his mercy and grace is such that he took our nature and he bore our guilt and he bore our curse of death that we deserve. Just as each one of these characters deserves death, we also are rebels against God and rebels against his king. But the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to bear that punishment of death and hell in the place of sinners. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to know that he has come once 
as a babe. He has come in on a mission of mercy. He gave his life on the cross that all who believe in him might be declared to be righteous, that is, without guilt, and to have all of their sins forgiven because Christ died on the cross for the sins of sinners. The Apostle Paul says that we are justified by faith in Christ and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, God is a God who is both merciful and just. We also would die if it were not for the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has died in our place. Shimei is a man also who is seen to have been allowed to live for a long time, the text says, three years. And during that time, his character, his original character, never changed. Solomon showed him mercy, and Shimei despised that mercy. He did not know what he was being given. And eventually, with the passage of time, Shimei became one who, as he was originally blasphemous, he thought that because God had not punished him, that God would not punish him. And he showed contempt for God and for God's rightful ruler. He thought there would be no accounting. He could get on his donkey and ride off and get his servants And Solomon would not know, and Solomon would not do anything. How many people today live that way with respect to God? Romans chapter 1 that was read earlier. Not only do they do these things, but they approve them. And they encourage others to do the things that are listed there. And we think that because God has not yet punished, that he will not punish. But there is coming a day when the great King Jesus returns in judgment and he will not come then as he did the first time in humility. He will come in glory and as a righteous king. And he will call each one of you and each one of me to stand before him. And if we are not in, in Christ by faith, if we are not united to Christ by faith, if we do not know the Lord Jesus Christ and all of our rebellion and all of our guilt will turn on our head. And that is the condition of everyone outside of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, and here's the message, Solomon as a king, I'm sure he took no delight in doing these things, but he did them. He punished those rebels. He did not hesitate to apply justice. So what do we read of Jesus when he returns? The Son of Man, we are told, will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, And the righteous, those covered by Christ's blood, those who are righteous in Christ, 
those who have been shown mercy, and oh, I plead with you. These are not fables. These are not just stories. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. I plead with you. Recognize that you are a moral creature and that you will stand before Jesus Christ. And if you are not in Christ tonight, repent of your sin. Joab Joab could have done that. He could have repented. Shimei could have repented. Each one of these could, could have, but they chose not to. If you are in Christ, the punishment that we so deserve is removed. And on that great day of judgment, here's how it's stated in the verse that I was just reading. While there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom in the kingdom of their father. And he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This passage that we have read about King Solomon is a solemn, solemn warning. And so I urge you, as I urge myself, to repent of your sins and place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ because he has provided for you a full and complete atonement. He has provided for you salvation that is free, that is given freely to all who ask him. Just come to Christ and ask him. Repent of your sin and ask him, Lord, have mercy on me. I am a rebel against your throne. I have sinned against you. Lord, have mercy on my soul. Do you know that prayer, that prayer, prayed in truth and sincerity, is always answered from his heavenly throne, from his throne in heaven. He will reach down and he will save you and he will call you into an intimate and wonderful knowledge of what it means to be his child. May it be that we take that route, that we take that route, that we understand who Jesus is, that he is a great king, and his kingdom is established, and it is established in justice, and it is established with mercy both, and they are seen in the cross. May he help us to see that tonight. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask that even as we have read of the administrative justice that Solomon gave out, where his enemies were slain, that we would also be reminded with great soberness, that we would be reminded that we are your creatures, that we have been made by you, we are moral creatures. And we will stand before you on the great day when Christ returns. O Lord, prepare us for that day and enable us by faith to hold to Christ with all of our heart and with all of our soul and to never let go of him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.